From KPMG, this is Global Perspectives with Hala Mohideen. Hello and welcome to Global Perspectives, the podcast series from KPMG focused on the big international issues and inspiring leaders helping to shape a more sustainable world where CEOs and their companies can flourish. On this month's episode, we'll chat to a journalist with four decades of experience and one of the world's best-known broadcasters, the BBC. His resume includes spells covering both the business and financial world and technology. Rory Kethlin-Jones has been a prominent, familiar face and voice on BBC television and radio. As a business and economics correspondent during the 90s, he was at the coalface as the UK and many other developed nations pivoted away from heavy industry towards a more service-based global economy. He would later shift his focus to technology for the corporation and reported on the so-called dot-com boom, followed by the dot-com crash in the early noughties. Rory, thank you so much for joining us on Global Perspectives. Very glad to be here. Now, you recently retired from the BBC after an extraordinary career covering some of the biggest economic and technology stories of the era. You also wrote a book about the infamous dot-com crash. Lots to, to choose from, but what would you say was the high point of your time in journalism? Well, I did write a book about the dot-com crash. Uh, in, back in, I wrote the book back in 2001. It was published, unfortunately, on the 9th of September 2001, which wasn't a good time to publish a book. But I've written another book about the smartphone era, which I basically covered from 2007 to, uh, to when I left the BBC. Uh, and that I'm going to pick a moment from that. Uh, as my biggest moment, really, because the, the, I, I'd been covering technology for years, but I got the title. And uh, a few days later, I was on a, on a plane to the United States to cover the huge gadget fest in Las Vegas, CES. But I persuaded my bosses to, to let me take a day out, take a camera crew over to San Francisco to see Macworld, because Apple's Steve Jobs was rumoured to be going to unveil something a bit special. And yes, indeed, he unveiled the iPhone. And I was there for that. And looking back, that was probably the the key technology moment of the 21st century so far, because that phone was not the first smartphone, but it definitely launched the smartphone era. After that, just about every industry, every business and many aspects of our lives were changed by these incredibly powerful little computers we, we took around with us. And it's almost impossible at this point to imagine what life was like before them, isn't it? It really is. Interestingly, I, I spoke the other day to Tony Fidel, uh, who at Apple uh, was the man behind the first the iPod and then the sort of leading the team that created the iPhone. And he told me that even before the phone uh, was unveiled, uh, certain people in Apple were given them and in, in circumstances of great secrecy. And the whole culture of the the place changed, he said. The, the the way people worked, the way people communicated was changed even by these prototype phones. And that was a flavour of what was to come more broadly. Now, there's a lot of convergence today between the business world and, and tech, but you're one of the, the journalists that have actually specialised in both. 
What was it that motivated you to, to make that move away from economics to technology? Well, it was a gradual thing. I mean, in the 90s, uh, I was, you know, at the coalface covering business stories for television news, although t TV news is, you know, quite high profile. Uh, covering business, it's not, to be honest, very deep. Uh, you do Marks and Spencer's results one year uh, and then you don't see the company for another year until their next set of results come along. And I found that kind of tedious. Uh, and what I was much more excited about come the late 90s was what I was seeing in terms of tiny startups suddenly becoming worth uh, a lot of money, the rise of the likes of Google, the, the resurgence of uh, the near-death experience of Apple and the resurgence of Apple, and just this whole sense that the business itself was being transformed, that, that uh, it, it was a, certainly in the UK, a pretty stuffy old world, even in the 90s, uh, traditional business. People left university, went to work for banks, gradually worked their way up an organisation. Suddenly, it seemed young people could start a business out of nothing and it'd be worth an awful lot in a, in a hurry. Now, of course, all of that went pop, but there was a great deal of excitement around that era. Do you find that the, the tech sector is more exciting than economics? Because it's a, it's a difficult call to judge because given the, the recent fluctuations and moves that there have been, not least due to the pandemic, I mean, the business world and economics is also something to keep an eye on, no? Well, I, I don't think we can separate the two. I mean, the, the, every business is now a tech business in, in some way or another, or if it's not a tech business, it's probably a dying business. So they, they definitely come together. And I'm certainly not going to dis economics. My wife is a professor of economics and she's uh, somewhere in the house and she would be very cross if I did that. But who would not want to be involved as the 21st century dawned in this industry which was carrying all before it, which was transforming our lives, which uh, was actually bringing sort of knowledge about business in, in, into every home. Covering business was always seen as something slightly stodgy and something that a lot of people would not be interested in. And you, you tried your best to get people interested in it. But once it became technology stories, then it became a lot easier in many ways to engage with a, a broader section of the population. Just think about, you know, huge characters like Elon Musk these days. They transcend the business world. They transcend the technology world. They're just huge personalities. Now, for CEOs, there's often excitement but also a real fear about the power of tech and its ability to help a company flourish but it also does create quite a large element of risk based on some of the stories that you've covered what advice would you offer boardroom executives who are still reluctant to embrace technology wow i mean it's a bit of a cliche, but journalists advising chief executives about how to run their businesses, uh, uh, you know, maybe th those journalists should be show that they can do it themselves first. But I think the important thing that I've learned over the years is that companies need to be open, need to have their eyes open to how fast the world is changing. Uh, I mean, the arrival of the iPhone is a classic example. Uh, so when, when Apple unveiled that phone, they had 0% of the market and obviously none of the profits in the, in the mobile phone industry. And the likes of Nokia, the likes of uh, RIM, the company behind BlackBerry, various Far Eastern companies were, were all pretty powerful players. 
four years later, Apple it probably got about 20% of, uh, uh, of the market, but it got just about all of the profits and much bigger profits of the whole industry. And uh, a number of other uh, the previous giants were basically disappearing, evaporating. You know, Nokia, which is still a very powerful company, particularly in, in the networking field, was exiting mobile phones. BlackBerry was going nowhere. Some of the, the Far Eastern names, some of the uh, Asian names were basically giving up on it. So that, that kind of showed how important it is not to be complacent. And I mean, the other great lesson is that just because you've always done something one way and it's always been profitable, don't think it's going to be that way forever. I mean, the, the music industry learned that, didn't it? When it clung on to uh, the CD model. The C CDs were hugely profitable, and they they were they were scared. Many of the companies of uh, uh, adopting you know the digital future because that was going to be nothing like as profitable. But of course, once they found that if they didn't do it, their lunch would be eaten. They had to change very rapidly. We'll return to the second part of our interview with Rory Kethlin-Jones in just a moment. But first, let's hear from KPMG's Alex Holt. Alex, we've been hearing from Rory Kethlin-Jones about some of the highs and lows of the tech sector that he's reported on over the years. From your perspective, how healthy is the industry right now? And given the great uncertainty around the world at the moment, what challenges are tech companies facing? How healthy is the tech sector right now? Well, I would describe it as having a bit of a cold, but when you look at the vitals, they're still pretty strong. So I would say there's no doubt there are some challenges and difficulties at the moment, but that the fundamentals of the sector are strong. And the reason why that is the case is that our love affair, the insatiable demand for technology in both our personal and our business lives continues. And that demand was really accelerated through COVID as we saw a number of digital transformations in every aspect of our lives. And so for me, one of the reasons the fundamentals or the vitals are so strong is that the demand is still strong. And so while we might be facing perhaps an economic slowdown, the role of technology in our lives has never been greater. And for me, that is why the industry still is in a strong position. But the challenges are real and some of them are new, some of them are have been around for a while when we look at things like supply chain, but they're not getting any easier. We're seeing increased and much more complex regulation for the tech sector. We're now starting to see an increased cost of borrowing capital and raising capital. That's definitely going to have an impact. We talked a bit about economic slowdown, but also competition for talent and the hybrid working environments that many of the tech companies are grappling with right now continue to show us that there are plenty of challenges for the sector, but in my mind, still plenty of reasons to be very optimistic about the future. You've just published your first book, Outpacer, focusing on some of the mavericks and pioneers in the tech space. What motivated you to write the book and what did you learn when you were researching it? My motivation to write the book was, well, it was certainly something I'd always wanted to do. And uh, following a meeting with a CEO a few years ago, uh, I felt compelled to write it. I was, I was in the room, we were reviewing the end of quite a large project and across the desk of the CEO, there was a news flash reporting a big tech company that had done 20 quarters of 
20 plus percent growth and the CEO in an unguarded moment turned to me and said, how do they do it? And I said, who? He said, these big, big tech companies, they go about just delivering exceptional growth all the time. And my whole team are working so hard, yet I don't think we can get to those numbers. And so I felt very compelled to come up with an answer for those organizations that were trying to keep up with the organizations that were setting an incredible pace, the ones that were outperforming, hence the name Outpacer, bringing those two together and come up with a blueprint that would allow those organizations to not only keep up, but potentially outpace those companies that are currently uh, leading and making it look so easy in digital. And from a learning perspective, it was a great process. It was hard, uh, but it was certainly a process that I learned a great deal from. And I guess a lot of those lessons are in the book. But one of the things I did at the end of each of my chapters was provide a profile of a business icon and what I've described as a popular icon who had some of the characteristics that outpacers need and display. And so it was people like Satya Nadella, Elon Musk, Susan Wojcicki, you know, great tech pioneers, brilliant people, people that you might be familiar with. But I also sought out popular icons, you know, people like Reese Witherspoon, um, Jay-Z, Oprah, a number of different individuals from outside the business life that have much to teach us about leadership in digital. And if you want to know more than that, then, uh, then I think buying the book's the best answer. All of my proceeds will be going to charity, and hopefully you can really enjoy the book and take a number of the lessons that, that I'm so lucky to have been able to find during my time living here in Silicon Valley. Factoring in your work for KPMG and your recent book, what advice do you have for CEOs and other leaders in the tech space who might be feeling overwhelmed right now by the geopolitical and economic uncertainty facing the world? My message to CEOs would be, don't feel too sorry for yourself. It could be worse. As I said earlier, this is still a great sector. The fundamentals are good and strong. And my advice would really be to focus and prioritise. What are the three things that could really derail your organisation? And while there's lots to worry about, there are probably only two or three things that could really take down the whole company. So it might sound you know, a bit depressing, but really make sure you know what the two or three things are. It's unlikely to be 20. So what are the two or three really big things? Make sure they're under control, that those teams and individuals have the resources they need to ensure the organisation can remain healthy. And then I'd also suggest focusing on the three things that matter most to your users and your, or your customers and ensuring that the whole organisation can deliver against those fundamental two or three things that your users or customers value most from you. Focus your time and effort on getting the organisation to do everything it can to deliver against those expectations and those needs from your customers. And if you can do that, my view would certainly be that you will certainly weather the current storm and challenges and go on to great things. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on Global Perspectives. Now back to the second part of our interview with Rory Ketlin-Jones. How important would you say innovation is when it comes to, to taking your company and driving it forward? Is there not also a case for protecting some legacy aspects of your business? Or do you think chief executives really should always have an eye on how to innovate, improve and make something better? 
It's one of those cliches, isn't it? Um, it's innovate or die. Andy Grove of Intel, his, his autobiography is called something like Only the Paranoid Survive. And I think, I think that's right. Things moved, moved more slowly 20, 30 years ago. Companies were around for a long time. They could dominate an industry. They may, might have paid lip service to innovation, but they didn't need to change uh, that rapidly. It's hard to think of an industry where you can be that complacent these days, where you can say, uh, we, we've done it this way for years, we don't need to change. So I, I think no, no company would say that innovation was unimportant to them. The trouble is often they're paying lip service to it uh, rather than actually putting it into action. You've been, you've had a very long and storied career, 40 years with the BBC. You've seen so many things change and, and develop. Do you wonder sometimes the, the development of the iPhone, this is as far as technology can innovate? Where do you see things going next, given based on the experience and the things you've seen through your career? I think there's a danger as, as one gets older to say we, we've innovated far enough. But I, I think what we're all waiting for is the next platform after the smartphone. Let's be clear, the smartphone revolution is 15 years old and it's got a lot more uh, legs in it. it. It's been transforming all sorts of industries. It's going to transform more industries. One thing I'm particularly interested in is healthcare, where there's a lot of promise for using smartphones uh, and wearable technology, uh, using the sensors in them to deliver healthcare in different ways. Artificial intelligence is being exploited in all sorts of industries. So we're going to see more of that. But what, what we're all waiting for and it's been a long time coming, is the next platform after the smartphone. And there's an awful lot of talk of smart augmented reality or virtual reality glasses. I, some years ago, wore something called Google Glass, which I was very excited about. This product produced as a sort of prototype by Google. I wore it for three months, took pictures with it, uh, news, news items flashed up in front of my eyes. I thought I was living in the future, and then everybody pointed out to me that I looked like an idiot, uh, and I decided they were right, and that product failed. But others, notably Apple, are rumoured to be going down the same path. And I do think we will see some innovation there. Maybe it'll be a pair of glasses. Maybe it'll be a smart contact lens. But we've got to be prepared for that. The other great area of innovation, which I am extremely sceptical about, is the metaverse. This is the, the, the current term that everyone is, is raving about. Obviously, Mark Zuckerberg so excited he's, about it. He's changed the name of his company from Facebook to Meta. A, a completely virtual world where we'll, we'll do everything, we'll run our lives, we'll run our businesses from it. Two things there. The technology is not there yet. Virtual reality has come a long way, but it's not yet an immersive experience that lots of people will enjoy. And the other thing is, I think we've discovered that there is an appetite for living in front of screens, but it's, a, it's, it's got some limits to it. We're all looking forward as we emerge from the pandemic to going away from our screens from time, from time to time and living in the real world. So I'm a sceptic uh, about the metaverse. OK, it, it does sound quite overwhelming to someone who's not as technologically uh, literate or, or enthusiastic as yourself, perhaps, to have my glasses turned into a computer screen or my car driving me without me telling it to. For people who feel a bit more, a bit overwhelmed by the speed of change, by the, the innovation coming down the track, and, and if you feel you can't keep up with it, 
what what would you what would you say to them? What what would your advice be to someone who's perhaps overwhelmed by the speed of change? I I think we do have to be careful uh, about accessibility. So I don't think we need to lecture people about you know you've got to keep up. In fact, a lot of the best technology is more accessible because it's simpler. Uh, what what the best designers in the technology world have learned is that the simpler interfaces are the ones that are the most successful. And we shouldn't impose people technology on people that, that don't want it. I mean, there was a really interesting anecdote recently by a music journalist who told this, this rather sad story of his father who accumulated huge parking fines because car parks they had to use, you had to pay by app and it was just too complicated. That struck a chord with a lot of people, even people who do have smartphones like me, enraged by technology when it doesn't help you. So I think... We, we need to not lecture people about keeping up with it. We need to humanise technology wherever possible. Is there anything that you would advise our listeners about when it comes to technology, embracing it, harnessing it and doing good? Well, I think what we haven't really talked about is uh, the huge excitement around technology companies in terms of an investment at the moment. And there I would say... Beware. Uh, I've lived through one dot-com boom and bust, and I very much feel we are living through another potential bust right now. We've seen valuations climb to extraordinary levels. Tesla, for instance, is valued as about uh, 10 times the rest rest of the car industry combined. Uh, So I, I would say take a long view, both of technology itself uh, and of the value of technology shares. It will change our lives in all sorts of ways, good and bad. Embrace the good, be conscious of the risks and, and don't put all your money into technology stocks and or certainly not cryptocurrency. That's my advice. Okay. Rory, Kathleen Jones, thank you so much for that great advice. And thank you too for joining us on Global Perspectives. I'm Hala Mahiyad-Dean. Join us next month where we'll be chatting to another inspiring business leader. And if you want to hear more of KPMG's global podcasts, head now to home.kpmg.com.